sort of got used to over the last eight or ten years, however long it's been, is teaching with PowerPoint and having that kind of going on in the background and being able to use that. But uh, I guess during our period of construction, we'll have to go back to uh, some methods that we learned years ago. And that's okay. That's okay. Perhaps it'll, it'll be a good experience both for the speakers and for the audience. Uh, we are talking about the Ten Commandments, and we're in the midst of that study. And we're trying to look at that through the lens of um, you claim to be a Christian, but live like an atheist. And I know that that is a problem that the world has today, especially here in America, that there are a lot of people that would profess to be godly, would profess to be believers in Jesus Christ, and yet there's not really a difference in how they live than everybody else in the world that has no relationship with Christ at all and wouldn't even profess to be. And I think there has to be a distinction between us. And I know that probably all of us can look at events in our life and moments in our life we recognize that maybe if someone examined that, they wouldn't really see Christ in us. And, and so through the efforts of looking at the Ten Commandments, we hope that we can get maybe in touch with the idea of reforming our lives to live more like God would have us to live. And the first thing I want to do is I want to look at the nature of God, especially as it relates to His creation. And that's you and me. What is God's general outlook or impression or the relationship that He's trying to foster with His creation? And that's you and me. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 2. And this is right before he digs into the Ten Commandments. He says this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He's reminding the children of Israel who he had just delivered across the Red Sea and performed the miracles of delivering them from that slavery that they they were in for some 400 years And he split the Red Sea and they crossed it and now they're on the other side. And he says to them that, he says, I'm I'm the God that delivered you from that. And I think he said it in a way that he means, I don't want you to forget that. Look a little farther in verse number 5. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. So he's not just... A God, but He's one that's jealous. And I would, I would characterize His jealousy as a, a righteous jealousy. Meaning that there, there's jealousy that's wrong. If I look at someone's life and I see that they have wealth or they have cars or houses or fame or something like that and I'm envious or jealous of that, oh, I have no right to be, do I? That's not a righteous jealousy. But you see, God is our Creator. He's the one that made us and put us here. And He has a right to desire a relationship and the proper relationship between Himself and that which He's created, which is you and I. He's the potter and we are the clay. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Moses, God speaking through Moses, says this. He says, Beware that you not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. 
So there's a standard right there that we hear. That he says, beware that we don't forget him. And how would we manifest that we forget him? Well, that we're not doing what he says. Well, what if we've got signs up all over our house that say God and praise Jesus and all those things, and yet we go out and we live the way we want to live, and we don't really take that with us, that, that, that message that's on our walls or that message that's in the things that we see and read every day, we don't take that and live it out. Well, what Moses says here is that's kind of like forgetting him. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I have commanded you, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flock multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God's a jealous God. And He knew that as soon as man started prospering, started doing well, that his tendency would be to rely on himself and not on God. And I think that probably as you look about the world today in America you would have to conclude that we're living in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. So the temptation, I would say, for us probably today is greater than any time in any history, in any, in any place in history, to try to be self-reliant and not recognize that God has given us the things that we have and that we enjoy. If you think about a small child that's just getting old enough to assert some independence from their parents. Now, when there's danger, when there's a concern, what do they do? They come running back to that that parent and they get close to them because that's where safety is. But when things are clear and things are good and they feel safe, they begin to venture out and they begin to try to move out on their own and assert their independence. And I believe that God looks at us a lot the same way. Not that He doesn't want us to take care of ourselves in terms of the earthly things of this life, but He wants us to give the credit to Him and have the proper relationship with Him. You know, there's different types of relationships. that You have relationships you have with your friends. Well, that's one type of relationship, isn't it? But there's another type of relationship that you would have with a parent. And I believe that that if it's done properly, that the relationship between parent and child is symbolic of the relationship that each of us should have with our Heavenly Father. That there's a reverence, that there's a respect, that there's putting them in a higher place. Now, we all know that our parents of this earthly variety are are mortal and, and fallible and make mistakes and sin as we do. But our Heavenly Father is not that way. He's perfect. And He's holy. He's set apart. He's far different than us. And so if you look at the first first four commandments, I'm just going to quickly review those. Have no other gods before me. Do not make a graven image. 
And that's, that's the topic that we're looking at today. Do not take the Lord's name in vain and to remember the Sabbath. I would say that they are, those four are an attempt to try to get us in the proper relationship between our Creator and us. And when we do these things, when we follow these commandments, that puts us, that aligns us with the way that we're created. If you think about that second commandment, that we were to make no graven images. Now, a graven image is simply one that would be carved, you know, like this was cut out of this wood here. Uh, what they would do is they would take a piece of wood or stone or something like that and they would begin to take a tool and shape it and, and they would create it and they would use artistic ability to create it in the image of something. Well, God didn't want them to do that. And I think one of the reasons that He didn't want them to do that was they'd just come out of Egypt. And Egypt was widely known for its idolatry that they followed lots of different gods and, and they, would, they believed that their prosperity on the, world, on the earth was basically determined by the gods and so they would try to create these gods and these images of gods in the hopes that they're, they're, they would prosper more or be more successful or be happier or be healthier, whatever the case might be, uh, because of these gods that they had created and they would bow down to. And so... He gave them this commandment that they shall, and this is in verse number 4 of of Exodus chapter 20, says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the sea. Now, think about that He gives them this commandment and almost simultaneously, what is... Remember, this is Moses. He's given this commandment to Moses up in the mountain. And back down with the people, we have Aaron. And what is Aaron doing? Well, Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 2. And Aaron said to them, that is the people, Break off your golden earrings, which are the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. So he cre- so the very thing that God's commanding Moses up in the mountain, Aaron's down below doing that very thing. Then, then he, they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God says in verse number 7 that the people had corrupted themselves because of them doing this. So there's two ways to interpret this. And I think this is kind of interesting that, you know, God had led the people across the Red Sea. He had parted it and there He appeared to them like a, a fire at night and like a cloud during the day and and he led them and they would walk across the sea and they could see the image of God. But now that image is no longer there. It's up in the mountain. God's presence is up in the mountain with Moses. And so they don't see that image. And so what do they do? They desire to craft an image for themselves. Now there's two ways to interpret that, I think. Number one, they were still trying to recognize God Jehovah that had delivered them. 
But they were going to do it through this image of this molded calf. Or another way to look at it is that God had departed us and now we're creating another. And then this is going to be our God and we're going to give Him credit for delivering us. And so the other way, and I read commentators that went both ways on this, but that they, but in either case, God was not pleased with what they did. And they had made this, this image that supposedly was to recognize a God or their God, but he wasn't pleased with it. Well, the second commandment really talks specifically about three different types of images. Don't make an image of something on heaven, earth, or water under the sea. So, um, think about today. If, if God were to command us... You, know, you, you think about the children of Israel. Could they, could they have taken their cell phones out and taken a picture? Could they, did they have a canvas that they could paint pictures? Did they have movie cameras that they could create those kind of images? So the question that we might have is, would God be displeased with all images? And what about the famed selfie? Would that be a problem? Well, I think, I think it gets back to where we started. That God does not want to have us to have another God before. Anything that's, that's, gets in the way of our relationship with Him, He's against. And so, if we were to take pictures of self and that was, that became an image that we more or less worshiped or, or that we, we elevated that image to equal or to above God and, and our importance with Him, then I think he would be very unhappy with that image and how we were using that image. But I don't necessarily think that pictures... I mean, think about in our world today. Pictures, all pictures, all videos, all drawings, all statues, everything that is an image, would he, would, if he were to give us the commandments today, would he give them to him like, like that? I hope... I hope that I'm right in saying that I don't believe he would. Because I think that there is a, there's a use for those things. You know, we've, we've taught with PowerPoint for a number of years and we have projected images on these walls in the hopes to try to teach and to get us to understand God's Word better and to use those images for a, for a good purpose. And I hope he's pleased with that purpose. And I, I think he would be. But remember that the children of Israel had just come out of a land that was filled with idolatry. And so he didn't want them to, to, to fall into those temptations. So if you think about the first commandment, the first commandment was to have no other gods before him. Dusty talked about that several weeks ago. That's kind of the whom to worship. We worship God and Him alone. The second commandment talks about that too, but it also talks about how to worship. And so he doesn't want us to worship through an image. In Romans chapter 1, in verse number 23, it says, and, and the Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Rome is condemning the Gentile world for this. He says, They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man 
and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Now, I think that's an extremely interesting verse. You know what that means? That means that, that man began, instead of worshipping the Creator, that clearly, if you look at the world, you should recognize that there had to be someone, some being that created this thing. It didn't just happen out of thin air. But we had gone from worshipping the Creator to worshipping the thing that was created. And we severed the link. There was an attempt by man to sever the link. Just like the child is trying to assert their independence from a parent, to, to become independent and to no longer recognize their God as the creator, but to worship the thing that's created. And we know that, you know, that's, that's I would say that's rampant in our world today. And there are a lot of things in American culture that can fall into that. that, And I would say that anything that stands between you and your God, that something that's more important to you than, than your relationship with your God, that is your idol. That is the, that is the God you serve, whether it's um, a, a pastime that you enjoy or a, or a house that you live in, or a, a car that you drive, or a, a certain activity that you get to do occasionally, if that's more important to you than, than your Creator and your relationship with your Creator, that's become your God. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I think that's, that's, that's obvious, isn't it? That, that what we value... That's where we're going to put our time and attention and energy. The thing that we're thinking about. The thing that's important to us. But God knew that Israel had come out of, out of um, idolatry. And that worshiping an image, even trying to worship God through an image, was one step from doing just what we read about. Is to worship the image and to leave God out of it. And so he didn't want them to do that. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 18, the writer puts it this way. He says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overlays it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that would not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. I believe the writer here is saying that those efforts to try to recreate God or an image of God are ridiculous. They're futile. They can't be done. You have to try to worship the genuine article, our Creator, 
and not create some kind of image through which to worship Him. If you think about the relationship in the old law between between God and His people, that He had established this tabernacle. And again, this is where PowerPoint would be very helpful. I could show you an image of this. But there was a tabernacle, and inside the holiest of holies, where God's presence was with Israel, God's glory set upon that mercy seat, which was over the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant. It sat there. And there was a cloud, literally, that people that you could see above that tabernacle. And uh, I've heard it said, and this is not in the Scripture, so I don't know it to be true, but I've read or heard that when they would bring their Passover lamb to be slaughtered, that they would offer that Passover, which was slain out front. And now visualize that image back there of that cloud, and that as the smoke came up from your sacrifice that the priest offered, that the, the smoke would come up and it would meld with, that, with that, uh, that cloud. And that was symbolic of God accepting your sacrifice and how happy they were when they saw that. So that's a very visual image of what the Jew wanted. And, and God wanted through, through the establishment of the old law. And that law. Now think about today. In today's time... We don't have those sacrifices. But our relationship with the Father is through another priest. And that's a priest that's an eternal priest. And that's Jesus Christ Himself. Your relationship with God is not through some image or something like that, but rather it's through Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for your sins and stands between you and righteous judgment that would condemn you and I to death, but because of His sacrifice, then we can have a relationship with the Father that He designed. Pretty special. In Exodus chapter 20, and verse number 5, He says, You shall not bow down to serve them, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God. He goes on to say, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. How do you hate God? By not obeying His commandments. That's how you hate God. By not recognizing Him as your Creator and not obeying His commandments. I don't believe that this says that Because my father was a sinner, I'm destined to go to hell. I believe what this means here is that the iniquities of one generation are inherited by the next generation. And if you think about that, that's really true. That there are things that that people make decisions that have an impact for generations... The way that you raise your family, the way that I've raised my family, has an impact on the people they become. And so, if we leave a legacy of doing the right things and having the right relationship that that He would have us to have with God, then we'll leave that legacy. But to not do that can leave pain for people for years and years to come. 
You know, there's lots of examples in the Bible of that where, where a man would make a mistake and for generations that would, that would impact the whole, the whole nation of Israel. I think a one example is the after Solomon was king, there was Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was about to become Rehoboam. Rehoboam was about to become king. And the older men came to Rehoboam and said he wanted, you to, he wanted the, the king to loosen the reins a little bit and not, not be so overbearing and not cause many of his people to war and, and to not tax quite so much. And, and so that was the advice of the older men. The younger men said, no, let's hammer him even more. Rehoboam decided to follow the younger men. Because of that, there was an uprising amongst the people and there was another guy named Jeroboam that led ten of the tribes up north. And they, they left, and so we had this nation of Israel that was once twelve tribes that now split into ten and two, and the ten tribes ended up being quickly scattered about by the Assyrians, fallen into idolatry. Now, do you think the decisions of Rehoboam didn't impact the nation of Israel for forever? Forever. It was never again, going to be what it was. So the decisions that you and I make don't just impact our soul, but they impact the souls of those people that we come in contact with, especially our families, but even our, even our co-workers, that it's an impact far beyond that. He says, he continues here, but showing mercy to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's do the right things by God. Let's not fall into an American form of idolatry. Not that, we're, not that we are tempted to bow down and worship an image, but that there's a tendency in the United States to take God from His lofty, lofty perch as being holy and righteous and to think that I'm just as, the way that I think and what I think is right is just as good as what's in this book. When we start thinking like that, I believe we're losing the perspective of the correct relationship with God.